we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what. You bugging ass Jeff, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Oh, wait. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Get out of bed for eating crackers. How about four beans, Mr. Tiger? I'd say you've had enough. Um, One! You'd be like, Jeez. Hey, Bane, you'd be mad busy at the moment, wouldn't you? It's not With too... the bus away? Yeah. Yeah, living it up in Germany. I've been, um, I've been following his Instagram going. How awesome is it, right? How did you manage to have tonight off? Um, I have to have some night off. Monday and oh, um, that was last week. This is how all the weeks meld into one in hospitality. Sure, milkshake. Oh, is it okay? Yes, weeks in hospitality. No such thing. Oh, so you haven't had your days off this week? No. Oh, that um, Christmas Day will be my day off. Uh, <laughs> do you only close Christmas Day? No, I lie. I make that sound really dramatic. <laughs> um, we're closed. Christmas Day no. is the only day I've got off. <laughs> I'm so hot. <laughs> done by. Um, this no. looks really hot on the podcast. <laughs> we're um, closed the 25th, 26th, 27th. So I get three days off in a row. So there is a light at the end Yay. of the tunnel. But... Um, yeah, I don't, I don't have an awesome roster this week. I bet. <laughs> no. Yeah, so it's great. It's fine. Well, thank you for coming. No worries. <laughs> I, w- I would. You can chill. Have some red wine. Oh so what are you having? Are you having like two minute noodles for Christmas Day? No, no, we're going the whole hog, like literally. Hey, darling, how are you? Great. How are you? Yeah, really good. Thought I'd join the party. Oh, this is very festive. DJ's <laughs> jumping in. We're, all, we're recording all of this, by the way. Cheers. Oh, cheers, everyone. Cheers. Merry, Thanks for dropping in. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas. You know? <laughs> so you're going the whole... What? Family? Yes. So my family do the full big Christmas dinner. Yeah. Um, so this year we've got yeah, goose and chicken and pork. Oh, goose. And um, what else have we got? I've never, and ham. Never eaten pork goose. Ham. <laughs> Always wanted to. You never eaten goose? No. Oh. You'll have to ask Shirley. Yeah, I know. You just... You I've just... sort of been... I've, I've had geese twice at my place and both times they've flown away. <laughs> no, I... You're obviously not fast yeah. no. <laughs> It's nice, but I think it is a bit of a novelty bird, like... Like, is it duck? Duck? Like a bigger duck? Not as good as duck? Mm, I would prefer duck. Okay. And they don't have much flesh, hey? No, eat. well, the one that we had for cookbook club the other night, yeah. um, it was very tasty, but there wasn't much to it. They're yeah. big boned birds. Yeah, see, that's the... <laughs> like, I raised and killed my own ducks for a while. Yep. But it's a lot of effort for not much return. Yep. Like, chicken's way better. Yeah, yeah. I agree. In terms of home, you know, home kill stuff. Yeah, turkeys are pretty good as well. Oh, but we turkeys, turkeys taste terrible. 
<laughs> not not properly home reared ones. I think they're oh. delicious. Well, mine were delicious anyway. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I've never tasted a bit of turkey I've liked. It's just so dry and tasteless. And oh, I think that comes down yeah, to the smother with cranberry sauce. Yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> I'd just rather a chicken, to be honest. Like good Actually, chicken. Actually, you yeah. can't go past a good no. bird. I'm telling you. Yeah. No, some of the. Are we still talking about Christmas? (laughs) My favourite pastime, my actual favourite thing that I enjoy doing is boning chickens, Mm. actually. You know, and they all come past and say, oh, you're up to your old tricks of boning the birds, aren't you, Pedro? (laughs) It's like, you know, it's a favourite pastime. I love it. You know, it's just, you know, actually, and when you get a good chicken, it's so hard to beat. You know, it really is. And there's some beautiful stuff coming out of Australia. You know, that, like, the Thalmere chickens that you can get from New South Wales and that, they're just divine, mm. you know, all yeah. the Ionicas, you know, there's amazing. That's one of my sort of, a lot of my home farm projects have taken a bit of a backseat with the kids being so small, but as mm. they get older, that'll be the one I restart back up is have a nice big run for eating or like sort of keeper, just let them breed themselves and kill yeah, the and roosters. And then of course name, name them. Giblets, yeah, oh yeah. Dinner, lunch. <laughs> Wing bone, dinner, lunch, yeah, exactly. <laughs> we actually named our ducks Christmas and dinner. Yeah, that's <laughs> fair enough. Know. At least they know what's coming. Well, Curtis is pretty good now. He will, he'll watch like a David Attenborough documentary and watch a buffalo being dragged into law by a crocodile and guess everyone's got to eat something. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> that's <Have> awesome. <laughs> so I'm like, well, you're well prepared for when I start killing chickens again. Until he sees them as pets. Uh, he's probably quite happy. He's a little bit scared of chickens. I don't know why. <laughs> but, you know, I, actually, I actually, I actually think that, that people should be desensitised to, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, say so you pet a, a cow. You know, the main purpose of a cow is actually mm-hmm. to be bred for milk or, or food. You know, and and you've got it. You know, everything that you buy in supermarkets is all removed, so far removed from oh, for sure. actually the, yeah. you know, the, the what it is. You know, there's, it's yes, it's gruesome, but you've got to see where it comes from. Yeah. You know, it's like, I'm not touching that. It's like, well, how do you think it got there? You know, or I only eat chicken breast. You know, what, what about the rest of it? Mm. Yeah, it's, it's absolutely nuts. Yeah. Actually, the one good thing with the, um, uh, I reckon in the last 10 years that I've noticed is that a lot of those secondary cuts now are incredibly popular. Mm. Like, well, yeah, <laughs> definitely. But also the price of the prime cuts is through the roof. Yeah. And so you have to be inventive. It takes more of a chef to be inventive about using secondary cuts and having that blend of good ingredients and cheaper ingredients to make something fabulous rather than just buying the very best of everything. Yeah, yeah, you know? absolutely. And you've got to find that blend, otherwise, you know, your food costs are through the roof. Mm. And you don't make any money and you're out of business. The butcher I worked at just before I started this job, after I worked at the live music venues, he used to sometimes put lamb shanks in dog bone bags because you just couldn't get rid of them all when he was boning lambs. I know, it's crazy, but now what they do is they freeze them all and then sell yeah, them. Yeah, sell them, sell them no, at they, the time. They even sell them cooked these days to you, yeah. you know? Like, oh, yes, like I saw some of that. sous vide, basically. Yeah, 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 yeah. Like, you know, yeah. it's like, you know, I disagree with it, but, you know, that's... That's no, just a supply and demand. That's what it is. Mm. Yeah, and brisket, like brisket, used to be mint, like sausages. That's where brisket used to go. Yeah, that's right. But I, I don't, I, like, I don't, I don't, like, when you sous vide brisket, it doesn't cook the same as when you like dry roast it. Yeah, yeah. You know, so you get that, like, you know, ninety degrees overnight, and you get that that bark on the outside where the fat is as it breaks yeah. down, and, and you know, the, there's no 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 liquid in the tray, but by the end of it. 
it's full of liquid, you know, which you allow to cool in so the juices go back in and you've got this nice crust and grill it over coals. And mm. Yeah, good brisket's awesome. Yeah, yeah, there's some good gear around, you know. So, but I was just saying to Julie, I did a, we're having our sort of home, just our little house Christmas thing on Thursday night and I uh, pickled my own corned meat. Oh yeah. Did a, did a uh, bit of Wagyu silver side. Now, did you did you and, and did you inject it? Yes. Yeah. Yeah, just with the, I've got a little hand needle at work. Yeah. And I actually from the meth lab. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, it's like from the shooting gallery. Yeah. <laughs> and I actually had a we, we did an experiment. Oh, not an experiment. We actually had a customer that wanted it. They wanted a corn meat that had a mustard flavour once it was cooked. So if you think you know you're you're mixing the cure with water and then you're injecting it and then it's cooking out how strong that mustard flavor has to be so did you use dry mustard we were using mustard powder yeah, 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 yeah. at an incredible rate to get mustard into the finished product and it was like five times more expensive than our normal cure and of course you can't sell it of that no but i had a bag of the this the last sample bag and you open it up and the mustard powder is so strong yeah it's overwhelming so oh yeah you can used a bit of that because it's my, just sitting there my grandmother used to make dressings using mustard powder yeah. you know condensed milk and and, and vinegar yeah and right yeah yeah it's interesting mm. it's got lots of different uses i've never really do, can you still buy mustard powder in the shops yeah yeah mm. Keen's, yeah Keen's mustard powder it's gold, mate. Yeah. Absolutely gold mate. i've never really used it can you use it in like um you know when you add when you're supposed to add Dijon to a mayonnaise, can you use mustard powder oh, there? Oh, I think you'd have to add water to it and, yeah. and make a paste. And make a paste, yeah. but you could like yeah, add a pinch. Because yeah. not, not that not that anyone really makes mayonnaise these days anyway, because of the health department <laughs> go, do you use raw eggs in raw eggs in your mayonnaise? And if you say yes, they will come and investigate every single inch of your business. Seriously? Yep. How else are you supposed to make mayonnaise? Well, you actually buy ones which are pasteurised eggs, and that's how you uh. say. You know, but this is this, the dumbing down of the industry and, the, and you know, the, the actual, you know, health standards. You know, like you go go to France and, and or it, like lots of different places and, you know, the food's out on the benches and, and it's there, it's for you here, you've got to have sneeze guards. You know, I understand that, you know, and, and at the end of the day you end up, you end up conforming because otherwise the council's well, yeah, on your back. It's you know? a- the same as what it was in the, the music venues like there was things that you wanted to do that were community minded and made common sense but at some point it just became ridiculous to bash your head up against liquor licensing so you didn't do it yeah um, but that's I just find that amazing like I just would have thought that every restaurant above a certain level just made its own mayonnaise well yeah you, yeah, you do and there's things that we do do it for but as a as a as as part of having your license, you need like you actually get checked on it. Yeah, right. You know, do uh, your eggs pasteurised in your mayonnaise? So how do you pasteurise an egg? How do you pasteurise an egg? Like well, just just raise the temperature of it. Well, it's got to be cooked out to a, a certain temperature, and then you know it's cooked, and then so you've got cooked yolks, and then you make your mayonnaise from that. But does that still work the same? It don't, you don't quite get the same viscosity or sheen mm. in it that you used to. Yeah, right. Yeah. Doesn't quite, it splits a little bit easier as well. So obviously, yeah, not as good, does no. it? But, you know, like it all depends what you're doing. You know, if we're cooking, if I'm cooking, like if I was cooking for the four of us here, yeah, you know, I, I would be 
using Borex and away I go and everyone's cool. Yep. But once you started getting into that commercial field, you know, you've just got to cover yourself. Yeah, that's yeah. right. And that's, you know, but that's that's just the ebbs and flows of it, you know. My mayonnaise and hollandaise were, when I first started getting into, um, like, home cooking, but, but being a bit more home cooking rather than sort of just, like, buying things, you know, packet sauces and things like that. I'm talking when I was like 19, 20 and I had no food background and my family had absolutely no food background. Mm. You know, like, you know, mum used to, brown rice and fish with white sauce was about as exciting as she got. So when I started getting into that and I sort of, everyone had sort of said, oh, hollandaise and mayonnaise are really hard to do and you've got to be really careful or it'll split. And like, yeah. I, I think I've only ever split one hollandaise. Oh, look, you know. Well, it only takes one yolk to bring back 40 litres, you know, you know, there's a little bit of work in it. <laughs> your arm, you're like Arnold Schwarzenegger at the end of it with your arm, but, you know, it's, but, you know, it, it's, uh, yeah, look, there, there is an art, there, look, I reckon there's a dying art to actually cooking, you know, commercially, you know, these days, you know, and so I think, um, yeah, you've got to stay true to your passion and, and get into it and, you know, understand the basics of how it works. It's like, um, asparagus and holidays was, um, I remember my mum cooking it for me and us kids making the holidays, you know, years ago. Yeah. I think, um, you know, with the breakfast we do, I, I said, you know, I'm not actually going to make holidays for breakfast because, you know, it's so warm here. Can you imagine that? Yeah. Could you, could you imagine it? Like you've got 35 bloody eggs Benedict on order, <laughs> you know, and your bloody holiday splits in the middle of service. It'd be like... It'd be a nightmare. Yeah. So, yeah. So, and I refuse to buy the packets. Yeah. yeah. Because it's horrible. Point blank, you know, I won't go there. So, so it's like, you know what? I'm not actually going to go there at all. Just don't do it. No, no, no we go to other places that want, want yeah. to do it. Kitchen's like about four, 490 degrees in there on summer. You know, the eggs cook themselves. Yeah, <laughs> pretty much. And so does that make a big difference? The heat, the, the hotter the kitchen is, the more likely it's to well, split. Well, the butter, it's the butter that splits. actually splits out of yeah. it. Yeah, know? right. Is it, Hollandaise is one of those, actually, food, talking about food safety and mayonnaise and stuff, it's one of those products, again, that you just you can either waste a lot or you can make it to order yeah. for each person, which, in either way... But, but from what I understand, because I worked uh, in between the, the, the pubs and this, this job, I worked at a cafe on a weekend, a, g- a good cafe, but I was... Sorry, it sounds like you've, got, you've had a very checkered past. <laughs> oh, not really. I did lots of little jobs, yeah. um, and I was surprised by how much pro- more a production line breakfast was than dinner. Like dinner seemed like more. Everything was a little bit slower, and you were spending a bit more time on each individual one. Breakfast seemed like it was just like whole heap of prep because my job was the French toast. You know, and you had a sandwich press, mm. and all the French toast was all pre-soaked, and all I did for like four hours on a Saturday morning was, you know, making these French toasts, which you know got plated up, and then it went bang, 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 out, bang, 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 bang. Can out. you eat French toast now? Yeah, I love it. <laughs> I only worked there for like six weeks. <laughs> no, like I think when people go out for dinner, yeah, they're quite happy to sit for two, two and a half yes, hours. That's right. Breakfast? Do you want to sit for that long for breakfast? No, not particularly. Yeah. Depends where it is. But, yeah. you know, like, yeah, you've only got, like, you know, a, st- a steak takes 15 minutes to cook. Mm. A chicken takes 15 minutes to cook. You know, there's, a, yeah. there's an expectation of time. An egg takes three and a bit minutes, you know. And so, you know, you've got, it's, a, it's completely short order cooking, you know. You, yeah. You, <coughs> you know, we cook everything to order. Um, and, 
it actually, you know, so at some stage there's four or five of us cooking breakfast for 300 people. Well, and, and that's what I mean. Like, if you're talking about making one serve of hollandaise from scratch for every person that wanted eggs benedict, you'd have to have... Well, you'd have one person. It's like making risotto to order. Mm. You know, there's no such thing as... as no such thing as, as a real risotto in a restaurant. You know, it's all pre-cooked rice and away you go, but risotto cooked to water. Yeah. It started from scratch. And like, can you imagine you get 20 on order and you're 20 fucking pants in? <laughs> I yeah. only have six <laughs> burners. <laughs> you, know, <laughs> you know, so there's obviously, you know, in the commercial sense, there's got to be compromise. But yeah. like we go and do our caters and there could be 70 people in the room and we will cook risotto once and cook it from scratch. Yeah. And they have real risotto and you serve it. And, and the risotto, when the risotto is ready, everyone gets it. No one waits for a risotto, and risotto doesn't wait for anyone. You know? Yeah. It's like it's one of those things. And you've just got to know where to, where to do it, mate, you know. Mm. What are you doing for Christmas again? I missed that part of the conversation. No, no, I'm just, um, it's, so it's in Gladstone, which is like, you know, seven degrees hotter than here. Uh, and the only thing that I'll really be insisting on is roast potatoes, and I think everything else will be cold. Not mashed potatoes? No, roast. You've got to have roast potatoes at Christmas Day. <laughs> how do you roast your potatoes? Uh, or how do you like Well, your what type of potatoes does it get to start? Yes. Oh, what type of potatoes? Yes. Uh, so you're in Coles, what are you going to buy? Yeah, Gladstone, because I probably won't get a choice this time, because mum, I've given mum a shopping list, and she's just gone and bought everything. So, I don't know. It could be anything. Well, if you get kids, let's boil them first before you Yeah, well, I always boil... <laughs> I usually boil the potatoes, throw them around in the pan, like skin on and everything, throw them around in the pan a little bit so they break up a bit, and then cook them in duck fat or beef fat. Yeah, the best potatoes I think I've ever had was like the lamb shotter with the potatoes put mm. underneath, and then lamb shotter cooked for about six hours at 95. Potatoes, and then pull the lamb out, crank up, crisp up the potatoes, it was just like... My you know, <laughs> that, that may change things slightly. <laughs> I, I always, like, I always went the duck fat potatoes, but um, I got some beef off, I rendered a whole heap of beef fat um, from my neighbour's home kill. Yeah. And just I've just got it in takeaway containers in the freezer. And I've been using that for my roast potatoes. So dripping roast potatoes hat in blue sugar. Yeah, and that's really good. I actually did it for soap. Because I make my own soap. Oh, yeah, tallow for the soap. Yeah, yeah. for the soap. But um, um, I found it a little bit harder to work with than the coconut oil and the... Is there any um, more of that vino, Julie? Yes, there is. <laughs> 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 so what will you be doing for Christmas Day? Uh, well, I actually get on the big silver bed and I'm actually going to be in France for Christmas. Wow. Oh. Yeah, so that'll be great. Actually, I'm really looking forward to it. <laughs> so, will, will you go? Are you going to someone's place for yeah, Christmas Day? Yeah, absolutely. And so they celebrate Christmas or the Noel on the 24th. Yeah. So, um, you know, traditionally they they'll eat seafood, oysters, and prawns. There'll be um, homemade foie gras, um, raclette. So we're going to haute savoir. So, in the so there'll be. You know, there'll be tartar flat and all that kind of stuff. Will you, will you take some pictures for us? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm going to be fat as hell. Because <laughs> you know? artery, artery hardening food, you know, it's going to be great. Oh, I actually would like, because I love, I love that. Even though when it's stinking hot, like, because my wife's family likes the more Australian Christmas, you know, prawns and seafood and <coughs> salads and that sort of stuff. And, like, I'm sort of so... Um, Conditioned to having the hot know, Christmas, hot Christmas. 
Yeah, look, I think you end up having to adapt and change. It's nice, but when it's 40 degrees, you know, you just walk like you're just sweltering, and then you question what they, you know, <laughs> the tradition, and, 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 you know, you're normally absolutely knackered after Yeah. You know, by the time we get to Christmas, we're spent, you know, we've given... Yeah, that's what, that's given, why I wondered with you guys whether you just basically want a sandwich and somewhere oh, to sit you down. You know, white death and ham is like Boxing Day special, you yeah. know, like, I mean, that's traditional Christmas. Some beautiful mustard and away you go, and... and yeah, I don't know. It all depends. It depends where you are and what you're doing, and and I find that I sort of will do things where we'll like make a pork pie or something like that, and do a couple of traditional things, but the full like steam pudding, everything like that, nah. you know, like I can't do it anymore. But I would like to go, you know, to France or somewhere where it's cold, actually cold, and then do the full hot. Oh, I can tell you about it when I get back. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. <laughs> I can't wait. You know, it's like, you know, normally, like I say to everyone in the restaurant, oh, what are you up to for Christmas and that? And they go, oh, I'm going to New York or I'm going up the coast or whatever like that. Yeah. What are you doing? It's like, well, I'm actually just going to recover. I was, like, normally, traditionally, Christmas is you have breakfast in the morning and then you sleep for about five hours. Yeah. And then you get up and you have a small snack for lunch and start cooking dinner mm-hmm. and then go, go back to bed again because you just spent, you know. So over the years I've worked out that we don't do Christmas anymore. We always close the day earlier so that then everyone's got a chance to, to recover. recover. and actually enjoy Christmas. Yeah, we don't have any Christmas parties for the staff on that last week because what happens is we normally like work so hard that everyone is just mm-hmm. spent. And yeah. so then, of course, they get completely written off, and then they just have this massive hangover over Christmas. So that doesn't work, you know. So you know, it's like you've got to Australia Day is the, the Christmas celebrations. The only only thing we do do is on the last Sunday of um, December before Christmas, we have champagne and ham, where we have hot ham, hot ham, and champagne. And if you want mustard with it, you bring mustard. If you want bread, you bring bread with it. You know, that's all we do. Yeah, and it works. It's great. Keep it simple, you know. Yeah, so that's a an interesting thing, like a, a restaurant's Christmas traditions, because everyone else is celebrating and you're working your ass off. So you sort of need little traditions, don't you, to sort of help yeah, you get through? Yeah, it. you do. And and like it's a case of it. I mean, it's a fantastic time of year, and, and I love the fact that everyone gets out and gets into it, and that's what keeps our industry vibrant and going. Um, you know, the flip side of it is that we end up doing the long hours and putting it together and. You know, it's uh, and it, it actually the amount of effort of combined of like 25 people, or say there's 25 people on your roster, or 30 people, or 40 people, in keeping it going and, and getting everyone to where they need to be, it takes a massive effort. So then us to have our downtime afterwards is great. So we do things like, you know, have those champagne and hand nights, and you know, unfortunately, um, I've I'm actually you know normally I'm up the coast, but this year I'm actually going to France, so we. The cold Christmas, and you know, it'll be lovely. I'm gonna, like, you know, go to the Leon Market and walk around. Yeah. And it's like, oh, you know, they were talking about, oh, we're gonna have to change the menu at work, and they're like, uh, 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 don't, don't change anything yet. PJ's going to France, it'll change the day he's back, you know. Like, <laughs> we're right, we're coming to be doing this with it. <laughs> One thing I did want to know have you had, had any nightmare Christmas parties, as in people coming to the restaurant for Christmas parties? that's gone terribly wrong because do you get requests for different things for like function Christmas parties like oh yeah you do you do but you've got to you know whatever you do you've got to do it within your your realm or your like you you know everyone's on a journey you're on a journey on your path of food and your customers have to come with you and and so you you know they 
you know, we've done things where we've done turkey and that, but you know, you're right, it's bloody dry and I hate it, you know. And it's like, customer wants, oh, I want Christmas. And it's like, no, we actually don't do it. I'll do your beautiful organic chicken, but I'm not going to do your turkey. And so you do end up steering your menu down that path and steering them on their journey. And, and so then it's up to us, like, so some of the Christmas parties we've catered this year, like there was, you know, we did, did there was um, a husband and wife who were both professional people and, and they wanted to have people in their home on consecutive nights, one for his his side of the business and one for his side of the business. So they were going to be at both of them. So then we wrote completely different menus for both of those. So that then both Christmas themes, sort of, but you know, making it so that they have a fantastic evening and, and their staff who they're celebrating because they wouldn't be where they are without their staff to make sure that the staff have a great time. Mm. So you know, you've always got to take all of that stuff into consideration and how you put it together. And you know, and do your do your little things. I mean, I, I we used to do steam puddings and stuff like that. But I, I I'm probably the Grinch. I'm not very Christmassy. It's <laughs> <laughs> like uh, like I cook my food and I, I do the things we do. And yeah, we make gingerbread Christmas Christmas biscuits. That's about as Christmassy as we get. There's no Christmas decorations in the restaurant. See, I never never had a feeling for Christmas desserts because also damn stuffed with food by the time dessert came around I didn't really care yeah well, look I think there's um yeah it's all about gearing it so the client gets what they want and mm. you know using excuse me using what's in season and you know making it delicious you know and, and obviously we're in a hot climate so you know mangoes are in season so you've got you know beautiful mango semifreddos with you know balls of mango um, sorbet inside and you know then fresh mango and yeah you know, elderflower and all this. Which, which, if you go to France and you tell them about, you know, mango desserts, they probably. Oh, I can tell you, it's going to be like a busman's holiday. I can see it already. <laughs> it'll be like it'll be great. You know, it'll be it'll be it'll be fantastic. You know, just you know, seeing what's there and doing and doing stuff and, and cooking what's in season, seeing the traditional ways they do things as well. Yeah. Like apparently in the supermarkets, you know. There's like, a, you know, we have an aisle which has like yogurt right the way through to, you know, coon cheese like that, which could be 20 metres long. That, that would be just like, oh, this is the butter and this is the cream fraiche, you know. And then there's other aisles with everything else, you well, know. I remember the first time I went to, to Melbourne as an adult and going to the Victorian mm. markets and I love my butter, you know. I made, I made my own butter before. And just going in and seeing a deli with... Four, four or five different types of butter blew my mind. What, you can get more than one type of butter? And like in huge two kilo blocks. That just, because you, you, did you do butter when you were doing cheese making? Yes, yeah. Which is weird, it was one of the things I struggled with. You know, a lot of apprentices make butter in, in, <laughs> in the whipping cream lesson yes, 101. Yeah, you know? we've had some really expensive butter made in our kitchens sometimes. <laughs> yeah, right. <laughs> But you need to let them do it because then they, well, they will do it again, but yeah. <laughs> they learn. Yeah, so. I think I've, I've had more success when I was a kid whipping cream at the island with the old hand beater than I've ever had with um, making my own out of my own milk. But Yeah, but it's all the, like, you know, the cream you probably got as a kid mm. would, would have had gelatin on it. Yes, yeah, thick and you cream. Know, thick and cream and, and, and so the pure stuff that you've got, you know, it'll come up and hold and and then collapse pretty quickly and yeah yeah but that's all the 
you know, as a kid, you we always used to fight over who's going to whip the cream to go over the tin pineapple, over the pavlova, or the, the cheesecake. You know, that's the type of stuff that we got to do with. Well, we used to we used to go to the house we're going to this year, which is just off the coast of Gladstone. My parents got a little big shack there, and my mum's a school teacher, so. You know, Friday afternoon at school would finish, the boat would pull up outside in the bus lane and we'd jump in and we'd go to the island for six weeks. And there was just an endless parade of sort of kids from my age up to, to teenagers through. And mum sometimes would make scones and she'd start at sort of 9.30 in the morning and finish at 11. Just, yeah, yeah. just endless batch, you know, this scone batch would just get, just keep getting made and I'd just keep whipping cream and someone else would come in, and, oh, not scones, pikelets, you know, and you just keep making these pikelets and they just more cream, more yeah, cream, it's a, more mo- cream. it's a moving feast, isn't yeah. it, you know, but, uh, you know, that's, you know, one of, the, one of the fond memories I had as a kid, we used to go to the South East Bay and, and the Marlborough Sounds and, you know, the mail boat would drop you out there, you'd be in the big, thick, heavy canvas tent and you would be living there and you'd be fishing and there'd be a trailer load of food that you took there and you know and you'd actually end up eating mussels and, and catching snapper and you know the, the trawler boat would pull past and that would have got some scallops and you know it was all there in front of you and that, you'd be there for three weeks you know yeah. you didn't go back to there's no phones no technology mm-hmm. you know bloody kids on their technology <laughs> get off your phone get you are you are the group fish for breakfast that's one of yeah, the things yeah. I well, remember that's, yeah that's the the summer thing isn't yep. it yeah yeah, yeah. we would fish. caravan for six weeks every Christmas yeah. down at Talabudja my brothers would go out fishing they'd come back with whiting or tuna or whatever it was they caught that morning depending where they went and we'd have floured fish on the barbecue for breakfast yeah it's yeah. awesome oh, my wife likes it because we go oystering yeah and she loves oysters I'm, I'm sort of I'm a bit weird with seafood other than whiting and squid I've sort of I'll eat it it's okay but it just doesn't have that magical feeling like lobster and crab yeah it's okay well I don't know it's like I mean I I think um like I think lobster and crab you know you look at you look at say you look at crab there's spanner mud crab golden lucky crab they're all different they've all got different muscle muscle textures when they're cooked and yeah you know and yeah it's more a texture thing probably for you rather than a taste yes probably yeah. But it, yeah. And and when I was growing up, like, I had a sort of endless seafood diet that most people would have killed for, but, you know, I was sort of like, where's my whiting? I still got this thing with whiting. I just love whiting. Yeah, like, and, you know, I mean, you come home, that, my dad was a, um, used to go, like, collect parwa and crayfish. Yeah. You know, so, like, I reckon I've eaten more crayfish than, than I care to imagine, you know, as a kid. You know, not knowing what it was, you know. And it's, yeah, I think it, it yeah, I think you you find there's things that you like and things that you don't, and your tastes do change, and also then the way things are cooked as well. Yeah, you know, we like the best fish I've ever eaten. Like really good fish, really fresh, good fish, cooked simply doesn't really matter what it is. Mm. It's it's pretty amazing. <coughs> you know, it's actually harder to put simple food on the plate than it's more complicated. Some of the one of the best fish ever we caught a the we went around Australia in between primary school and high school. And my d- dad's a mad king fisherman, so we sort of budgeted a fair chunk of time for the Northern Territory because he wanted to go after the Barra. And so we sort of pulled into the Northern Territory, sort of where the Barra Territory starts, and there's this river down the bottom. And it didn't look very promising. He's like, oh, we'll just get the, the stuff out and we'll, we'll, we'll just, you know, sort of shake all the gear out, see how we go. And we caught the biggest Barra, I caught the biggest Barra of the whole trip on this one 
on this one sort of on this thin bit of water yeah like little and and just like two or three passes big hit and we actually had left the net on the side of the bank on the first pass and he's like ah look we're not going to catch anything he's just a perfectionist oh we'll go back and get it so we went pop back and got it because otherwise we would have lost the fish but we um took the fillets off took the head off and we had one of those um sausage grills yeah and he just lit a fire and i don't even think we put any anything any salt and pepper or anything on it and just put it over the coals yeah and just but, grilled uh, you know them. That, but that's so like that's primal cooking you know it's like the flavor that you get from that you know it's um yeah you can't you can't beat it mm. and it was probably an hour an hour and a half out of the water yeah you know so you just, oh, just fish like that is just so good so fresh so. yeah absolutely it's funny you know i was thinking because i was my brothers both are mad keen fishermen so my nephews are as well and they go out fishing sometimes for hours and they won't get anything and we talk about when we were kids and we would go fishing we're a fishing family and we take it for granted that we had the opportunity to just go and throw a line in the water and not have to wait too long and there would be fish there to catch yeah but you know they can have a whole day's fishing and not really catch anything and these are <laughs> my brother will catch fish in a uh, you know in Julie's sink yes exactly. <laughs> um, and it, it's quite I have this one memory of going fishing and every time we threw the line in there'd just be a fish on the end of the line and that just doesn't happen anymore and it's quite sad because we're getting all this beautiful you know we're having all these stories about beautiful fresh fish and yeah. filleting them on the beach and cooking them over fires but I think we take that for granted now well I can remember when I was one of the very first memories I can have as a kid was um because Alan used to go to the reef, like they go to the reef all the time, you know, Lady Musgrave. Um, they were big fans of the Green Zone, apparently. <laughs> <laughs> and one of the first memories I can remember is them coming back with a, 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 an ice box, probably half the size of this table, this massive, massive ice box. Yeah. Just full of red emperor and coral mm. trout. Just absolute, like, you know, 50, 60, 70 fish between yeah. off one boat off one day. Yeah, and I mean, I th- that, I think, that would just I think never happen. I think there has been, well, all the licenses that have gone, I think there's been a lot of overfishing, and you know, you've got to protect it. Mm. There's a lot of lot of um, farm fish now, which is ocean farmed, and yeah, you've got to make it sustainable. I mean, you know, hell, I, I have vivid memories of being out in this little dinghy with eight people in a, out off Stewart Island in, in uh, New Zealand. So I'm 10, and you've got three hooks on your line, mm-hmm. landline, uh, hand line, you drop it down, and then it's you pull bad. it back up, and there's three blue fly yeah. Yeah. Like We caught 65 fish in an hour, you mm. know, 65, and you take them back, and, you know, it's... And I guess the only sort of... Like, we know what we know now, but back then they probably thought... No, no, they didn't. They just... They just yeah, they just, they just w- went for it. Yeah, yeah, they just thought that they wouldn't have thought that they were overfishing. They just would have thought that this was going to happen forever and ever and ever and yeah. ever. Because, um, you know, my dad's a fairly, you know, he likes his conservation. He, he If anyone was going to think about that, but you talk to him and he's just like, no one really thought that the, that the stocks would ever go away. Yeah, I think it's, I think it's you know, the fines and stuff that they get for the bycatch. And, you know, and so, they, you know, like say, like say you're fishing for swordfish or something like that, you're not allowed to have anything else on the boat. Yeah. So, and, and so then they've got all this bycatch that they get, but they just stop toss it back over oh, because you know all of a sudden it's like oh what are you doing with that one fish on the boat mm-hmm. you know you know and I think there have been a lot of people that have abused it but I think you know 
yeah, like seafood's expensive now, you know. Yeah. The cost of petrol to, or diesel to get out there, you know. Yeah. It's like, it's insane. And, um, yeah, certainly, like, we'll put it this way. Snapper used to be, like, six, $6 a kilo for the whole fish. $6 a kilo, that's what I remember. And we thought that was expensive back then. Now you're paying, like, 15 a kilo for the whole fish and yeah. then you factor in all your your wastage rates because you only get a recovery rate on the fish you yeah know? and all of a sudden you're at like before you've even taken the skin off it or pulled any of the pin bones out or the flat you know you're at 35 dollars a kilo and then you know and then by the time you get there you're at 40 dollars a kilo 45 dollars a kilo mm. you know it's i mean it's yeah i think it's well it's, it's the same thing that happened with beef where once upon a time all butcher shops used to buy a body fresh off the abattoir mm. and it would go into the back of the cauldron and it would sit there for three or four weeks and you know they just moved their stock around they they all aged their own beef but mm. they, now, it's, now it's all boxed all it's, broken it's, up and boxed it's all boxed but not only that none of it will be aged because they don't want to lose the weight well, I, I buy, like I buy Tassie lamb, mm. which comes up from Tassie um, in a container hung, and it takes five days. Yeah. So it gets five days on the bone, hung before it gets slaughtered in Brisbane. Yeah. It gets uh, broken down in Brisbane, and then I buy my, my uh, lamb from there. Whereas if you buy like uh, lamb in Victoria or New South Wales, which goes to the abattoir, killed and it's in a bag the next day. Yeah. There's a great, there's a big difference, I believe, you know. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Um, I was talking to, one of my butchers was talking to the, she, she knows a, um, a beef producer who sells carcass beef to France and they, they break it a different way, but they essentially hang it and it goes over in shipping containers hung not boxed not so it's basically aging as it goes across and then they age it in their butcher shops or restaurant I can't remember whether it goes in the butcher shops or restaurants but they're they're basically aging it as it sits in the ship yeah it'd be interesting like uh, you know I think like you know I think what a lot of people don't understand is that um, you know traditionally like your beef cuts like high fillet and that need at least four weeks from the date of kill mm. before they're good to go Strip loin can take anywhere up to eight weeks, you know, uh, up to 12 weeks. And, you know, for the proteins to break down so you get that beautiful yeah. tender cut. And then, you know, and, and then obviously once it goes past that, it's sort of... Yeah, there's that fine line, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah, there's <laughs> like, yeah, you've got the grey tender beef, you know. Mm. Hey, um, we'll wind it up since you guys have restaurants to run in the busiest time <laughs> Oh, of come on, it's only Christmas, <laughs> you know. But thank you very much. Enjoy Christmas in... France. Yeah, we'll do. Thanks very much. Make sure you take lots of photos, and we'll have yeah, to come absolutely. back and you can. I'll sit here and you can make me drill for an hour. And yeah, <laughs> and then I'll show you the photos. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> that's right. <laughs> hey, Merry Christmas. Uh, Merry yes, Christmas. Thanks, Merry guys. Christmas. All right, cheers.